Thank you for tuning into Sardis Gemstones Podcast, where you'll find all of our past and current sermons. If you want to know more about Sardis Temple, click the link in the description. We hope you enjoyed this word from the Lord. We now resume with today's sermon in progress. God bless the preacher. God bless my soul. Congregation, Bishop-elect, Bishop-elect, congregation. Come on and continue to give him praise. Give him praise. Hallelujah for all the good things that the Lord has done for us. Do you have a grateful spirit on this morning? Hallelujah. Good morning to everyone here and all of our online viewers. It is truly a blessing to be above dirt. Amen. Somebody and go and give God the best praise that they can. Amen. 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 We've come in here today after Resurrection Sunday to still be resurrected. So in case you didn't get it the first time, it's coming again. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you have allowed us to be in your presence on this morning. Lord, even as we went through the week and at times have not placed our mind on you, not meditated on the word, not spent time in devotion, you still set fit to keep us. Even though we should have been cut down, you woke us up another morning, Lord God. So, Father, as we have gathered here on this day in search of some word of encouragement, a search for some way of restoring our mind, Lord God, we come presenting ourselves, Lord God, to be a living sacrifice unto you. Lord, we pray that something is said today that your name is glorified. That your people are edified, that sinners are justified, and that the devil is petrified. In the only name that really matters, he who reign, rule, and shall return again. Jesus the Christ we do pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. No, you are not mistaken. This is the same text from last week. Pastor preached from this and let very little meat on the bone. And I'm going to try to just continue from where she left off from there. Amen. Amen. Um, last week, I was watching. Uh, come on now here. I was watching a show on Netflix. And... Watching that show is what inspired me to title this sermon today so that the time that is ours, if you will allow me, I will let you know that the title of this sermon is Unseen. Y'all didn't hear me early. Unseen. The most convincing truth of anybody's testimony is to see them after their tragedy. The most convincing truth about anybody's testimony is to see them 
after the tragedy. When you tell your testimony, the power of your testimony is not in its truth, but in its timing. When you tell your testimony, the power of the testimony is not in its truth, but in its timing. The fact that you can testify is proof of the test. So it's not about what you report from the test, but what you reveal about yourself from the test. The most convincing evidence of a test is how you look after the test, such as the discipline discovered in this discourse. Luke records this singular event where two disciples are traveling on the road to Emmaus, which is seven miles on the other side of Jerusalem. They are in discussion on the events that took place a few days ago. It is now Sunday, and Jesus, a Jewish carpenter, foretold his return on this day, the third day, but there is some uncertainty on what is supposed to happen next between these two men. They are in discord in their discussion because their leader has just experienced capital punishment. And they are torn between a miraculous life and his gruesome death. The Bible says they commune together and reasoned. The text it tells us that in describing the situation that they communed together and reasoned. Why that brought out my hermeneutical suspicion is because the Greek word for commune is homileo. It's where we get the Greek word homile. Meaning the art of preaching. I ain't got no help in here already. So they are preaching to one another about what they just experienced. The problem is they don't even believe what they're preaching. Okay, okay, here's your first point early. Your dialogue can cause your vision to be dim. Your dialogue can cause your vision to be dim. Jesus says, what manner of conversation are you having as you walk that has made you sad? I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, what manner of conversation are you having as you walk that has made you sad? Jesus says, what manner? of conversation are you having as you walk that has made you sad up until this point in the text we didn't even have a clue that the men were sad but Jesus question reveals something Jesus is not asking the question for clarity but he is questioning he is bringing attention to the solution to their problem Lord, hold your boy early in this sermon. Jesus is not all thinking. He's all knowing. So the question he asked was not only to show them that they created their own issue. He said, your talking has made you sad. 
because you don't believe what you're talking about. Because first of all, your confession is diminishing the truth that is developing the dim perception you have. Cleophas said, you must be a stranger because you don't even know what's going on. And his explanation on why he's sad is, he said, we sad because a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people was crucified. Cleophas said, you must be a stranger. We sad because a prophet mighty indeed has been crucified. So the distortion is no matter how great they confess he is. It's the cap that they put on him as a prophet. On one hand, you extol his virtues, but minimize his majesty in the same sentence. Our dialogue before we honor God may be the reason why we can't see him. We walk in this church and we expect the movement of God, but our dialogue before determines whether we'll see him or not. Is your mind on everything else that you cap God before you see God? We minimize what God desires to do on our behalf because of our dialogue. Because of our dim perception. We have distorted and diminished the work Jesus is doing in our life. He said he was a prophet. But he's more than that. He is the prophecy that all the prophets prophesize about. They said he's a prophet. He's more than that. He is the prophecy that all prophets prophesize about. He is the prophecy of the prophet and the word by which the prophet prophesies. I ain't got no help in here. And he says... Our leaders crucified him and we trusted that it was going to be him to redeem us. So they are sad because in their hearts they expected redemption to come without submission. They sad. He said, what kind of conversation you having that's making you sad as you walk? First of all, we see they had a distorted image of the truth because they capped him before they even worshipped him. They worshipped him by saying mighty great in deeds, but they let off and say, but he's a prophet. And then they say, we thought he was the one to redeem us. And the problem is they are sad because in their hearts they expected redemption without submission. Don't worry, I ain't worried about your amens. I bought amens with me in my pocket. To redeem means you buy back. They wanted redemption without submission. So if I buy something back, it in return, it's my possession. It does not become independent. So the problem was not the purpose. The problem was not the purchase. 
but how the transaction took place that they had a problem with. How many times have we become sad because what God did on our behalf did not go the way we liked it? And because it didn't go the way we liked it, it caused Jesus to be unseen in our life. Because we are blinded by our own expectations. I need you to understand, they was messed up by their dialogue because what you confess manifests your mood. How, whatever you talk about, it manifests what type of mood you have. If you're a person who complains, guess what? You're going to be depressed. Your distorted confession changes your disposition. <sighs> Not only were, were, they, were they confessing stuff that manifests a sad mood, their dialogue was wrong. And it has them going in the wrong direction. They should have been in Galilee. They had got instructions to meet in Galilee. But instead of going to Galilee, he's with another disciple. Cleophas is with another disciple seven miles on the other side of Jerusalem on the rule of Emmaus. Oh, they ain't going to like this one. Hmm. Hmm. How come we always click up when you're supposed to be working with the rest of the body? If they were supposed to be meeting with the rest of the disciples in Galilee... What these two doing clicked up someplace else? Why y'all on your own little secret journey when you're supposed to be a joint supply? Oh, God. Here's your second point. Sometimes your partnerships desensitize your discernment. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes your partnership desensitize your discernment. Here are two disciples who were in Jesus' company the last three years. For the last three years, they've been in the company of Jesus, but can't recognize him. <sighs> they agreed that they heard information about a woman who saw a vision and said he is alive, which was Mary. And there were other disciples who confirmed that story also. So if you know all this, Cleo, why are you still traveling seven miles in the other direction? Maybe it's because who you allow to be partner up with you is the reason you can't see Jesus in the midst. They ain't got no help. He hooked up with the disciple who ain't got no name. But who has a name above all name you can't see. Neither of the men were holding one another accountable. So they kept traveling the wrong way because no one in the midst was holding each other accountable. Oh, they were talking about Jesus, having good discussions, but we're not following the instructions of the teaching. So what matter or what matter how much they talk about the Lord, but ain't following the instructions of the Lord? For them both to be traveling away from Jesus' instructions of Galilee, they had to agree on unbelief and disobedience. 
For them to be able not to follow the instructions of Jesus, they had to agree on unbelief and disobedience. Because how could two walk together unless they agree? It says that Cleo said, we thought, meaning that they don't believe. Past tense. Jesus is working now. I ain't got no help. Your Christian development or lack of Christian development can easily be detected by who you are walking with. The Bible says that their eyes were holding. Their eyes were holding. As Deacon Terry told us, that means restricted. If their vision is restricted, then that must be something that God did. He gave us vision. So if you don't have vision, he must have restricted it. But my question is, hey, God, why would you blind them to the very evidence of your victory? This is the most important site of Jesus' ministry. Better than healing people, casting out demons, restoring sight and restoring deaf and dumb. So why, God, would you restrict their sight? Maybe God's trying to get you to walk by his voice and not walk by what you see. Y'all should have tore this place up right there. You've been with him for three years, so you, you couldn't even tell who he was? You couldn't tell who he was even though you didn't see him? You, seen, you heard his voice, and it should have been familiar. Can you trust the voice of the Lord even when you're not visible in the situation? Could you trust God's voice even though the answer is not visible in your situation? Do I have anybody who knows the weight on God's voice? It says, my sheep know my voice and another they will not hear. Hmm. When I spend time in the word, I know he's there even when I don't see him. Because I can hear his voice. I said, when do... When there's time in the word, I don't have to see the physical manifestation of Jesus, but I know he's there because I can hear his voice. Oh, y'all ain't feeling me. Okay, one night, uh, my sister-in-law called and said that my father-in-law fell. I didn't speak to my father-in-law. My wife spoke to my sister-in-law, and they were talking. And what I can make out was that he fell, didn't know the condition or whatever, what was going on. The next day, my father-in-law called me. Still slow. Let me talk to this side of the room. There was a call from my sister-in-law to my wife about my father-in-law falling. All I heard was that he fell. Didn't know what he was. The next day, he called me. Since y'all ain't ready yet, let me help you out. I did not know what his condition was, but the minute I heard his voice, I know whatever he went through didn't take him out. Is it anybody in this place that can testify as long as you can hear the voice? You don't have to see the physical manifestation. It's the Lord's quiet, still voice. makes evidence in my life the Lord's voice will quiet the doubts in your life 
can I get 25 people and I'll be number 26 that can testify it was the word of God that eased my trouble and it was the word that spoke to the word that restored my heart okay okay this is the last point I'm about to hurry up and get up on out of here a little bit and I'm gonna be in my seat hmm here it is. Your heart can see what your eyes can't. I'm going to say it again. Your heart can see what your eyes can't. We see that the disciples' heart was saddened. Jesus said, what manner of communication that you're having as you're walking that has made your heart sad? So we see that the disciples' heart was sad. They had a disposition because of their personal position. Because of their personal interests or stake in the, 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 the outcome, it changed their disposition because it didn't happen according to their expectation. Jesus is not visible in your life because the things in your heart. Some things God is doing right before your eyes, but it's invisible to you because your heart ain't right. Guess, guess, guess what? Why is their heart messed up? Their heart is messed up because they're so traumatized by the crucifixion. Their hearts can't accept the resurrection. I'm going to say it again. They so traumatized by the crucifixion, their hearts can't accept the resurrection. Their hearts can't accept. So here it is. A lot of times, victory is in your presence. But you're so caught up on your past, you can't get it. you so focused on your past, you can't see victory in your present. What happens is you let past experience sabotage your new season. You keep focusing on what happened in your childhood issues and all it does is diminish your adult progress. You so focus on how you were brought up, what you didn't have, but you ain't worried about what God has given. They so focus on the crucifixion they mixing the resurrection traumatized how many things in your past have traumatized you traumatized you so bad you can't enjoy what's happening right now you stuck in between seasons because ultimately it's a heart issue you sad because something wrong with your heart because out of the heart comes the issues of life and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so they worried and talking wrong all because they have unrenewed hearts they don't have motivation to be a disciple because it no longer as appealing as it once was well I lost y'all right there have you ever been in a season where you just want to escape the things of the Lord Lord, I know I should have been praying more about this. 
When you know you need to spend more time praying. You know you need to spend more time in devotion. You know you need to be more time in your word. You know you need to fast more. But my motivation is lacking. I'm unmotivated. My spirit is willing, but my heart got some issues with it. And if we can all be honest, there are some things we don't do. We know we should be doing because our hearts are not fast enough to comply with what God desires. Unmotivated to do things because our heart is not fast enough. We're sad because our heart is not fast enough. What you talking about, Bishop? We know what to do, but our hearts are too slow. But Jesus is a cardiologist. Y'all don't hear me. If you look in verse 29, look at what prognosis he gives. He said, oh, fools and slow of heart. Missed it over here. Oh, fools and slow of heart. Jesus is saying your heart is slow because you a fool. Your heart is slow. Because you're a fool. So you're not motivated to do the things that you should do because you got a slow heart, fool. Definition of fool, a person who acts unwisely or imprudently, a silly person. Jesus saying, you silly because you don't want to believe the prophets and the words concerning Jesus Christ. But here's your prescription. You're going to get a word from the word. Lord, help me. See, he told them, your heart's slow, you fool. And then he started unfolding the word. So the prescription for a slow heart is the word. My God. Jesus said, I gave you the word and you still acting silly. So to help you, guess what? I'm going to give you some more word. Help me preach this thing early in this morning. So you know what to do? If your motivation gets slow, you don't feel like doing the things of the Lord, get more word. So, 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 as Jesus begins to share the word with them, guess what? It got good to them. And they like, hold up, stranger. Don't leave yet. You see, the word got so good, it caused them to stop moving in the wrong direction. That they were going in and become more content with just being in Jesus' presence. They were traveling seven miles the other way from Jerusalem. But when Jesus got there, spoke a little word to them. Hey, let's forget about here. Let's stay here. Sometimes we just need to get in the word to stop moving the wrong way. If you get in the word long enough, it'll get you content. Where God is, instead of off the hill, they lifted him. They stretched.